0: Okay. Hi. hi. <laughs> hey, you, and welcome. My name is Mike, and uh, back for another episode of the That Chapter podcast. With me joined uh, once again, as always, is uh, Big Keith. Hey, you. how
1: are you? Good. Yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, great. Not much happening over the last week or so. Pretty boring. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing going on in my life at the moment is I'm waiting for a avocado to arrive
0: nice it's been about two weeks gotta get, get those ripe avocados let's be honest you can't be dealing with those uh, those unripe avocados well, you know what I'm saying
1: well I bought I bought it on Saturday
0: Expected uh-huh. expect to eat it on Monday mm-hmm. this is two weeks ago it's still wow. rock hard I used to, you just like have it on the shelf and you're just like staring at it all day, just, just, just poking it every two seconds, even if it's a little bit softer. Just waiting for that moment to get, mm-hmm. dig into it. Get like nice creamy avocado. That's it. That's it. Nice. You are a man who loves his cream. <laughs> um, so everybody who listens, thank you so much, by the way, I should say. Um, so That would have been a good segue,
1: by the way, to what we're talking about.
0: Well, it would have, but I also have shit to say. So, have it you just should okay. fuck up and leave the segues <laughs> to me? Segues to me. Um, I got to say a huge thank you to everybody who uh, tweeted at me, Instagram DM'd me. Keith is not really on Instagram, so he got nothing. <laughs> you are actually you I, are on Instagram now.
1: I, I just got an Instagram. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah but uh, mm. you, I was on your Instagram and there's literally nothing on it. I have, I have one post. No, you are no. Actually, I remember this specifically. I was going to tag you. Mm. In the post I put up, I put up a picture uh, a little bit ago of me and Keith on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I was going to tag Keith in it, but Keith is in his... You're in the picture of your like profile picture. So I was like, well, I'm not going to tag you. That just ruins the whole thing then. Yeah, yeah. so I didn't. The people aren't ready yet. No, they're not. They're not. Um, (laughs) So what I was going to say, though, is a huge thank you to everybody who... You know, sent me their Spotify things, their Spotify Wrapped, um, that that chapter podcast was their top podcast of the year. That's amazing. I was actually blown away by the amount of people who Mm. uh, sent me messages on Instagram, on Twitter, whatever. Uh, I I couldn't believe it so many people it was like in their top top 1% fans top 0.5% fans it was in their top 10 podcasts top 5 podcasts of the of the year Yeah, I yeah. was like whoa the podcast isn't even a year old and people are listening to it so uh, to all the folks out there thank you so much to everybody who's in the top 5% listeners of the podcast I love you almost as much as the people who were the top 1% of fans <laughs> so it's all good uh, no really thanks to everybody who's listening uh, I joke I joke we love you all no really everybody thanks so much for listening to podcasts it means a lot to me and uh, big Keith over here. We like to joke
1: and mess yeah. around, but no, that's re- that is really, really cool. So, thank you so much. You can thank him too if you want. Oh, yeah, no, thank you so much. Absolutely, yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I can't believe it. Like, we kind of when we started doing this, uh, we were just in the pub one of the day, mm-hmm. and one of the days, and you said, uh, you'd like to have a guest on, want to want to jump on. for something I was like yeah sure why not and yeah. then turned out we had a lot of fun doing it Yeah, so we kind of released more stuff and like oh, we come in and we just shoot the shit have a lot of fun uh, I can't believe people enjoy listening to it yeah and, I know I'm there, surprised there we go People like I mean it. we think we're funny but
0: nobody else usually thinks we're funny <laughs> I yeah. our, our wives definitely don't think we're funny oh no 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 I'm not funny at all so uh, I'm glad everybody's listening Uh enjoys it I uh, hope you enjoy the episodes to come we ain't stopping I'm Kids. not leaving no 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 I'm not fucking leaving. Uh, hopefully into the new year you guys will keep uh listening and enjoying and blah 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 hmm. all right let's get into it
1: yeah oh wait before oh, another thing before i get, get into,
0: into it, it. <laughs> sorry um any spooky tales from the house the haunted house since uh last
1: no it's actually not um no. yeah womp womp. not since the uh the creepy cat incident mm-hmm. yeah spying on me having a shower all right well but uh, apparently i have a cat now so he's always showing up so there well hey listen you
0: don't know any sp- stories, but you got a cat, so got a cat. congratulations! Got a cat yeah, God.
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
0: Uh, all right, well, I mean, not awesome because I was hoping for a spooky tale there, but okay, all right. I'll all keep you friends. posted. I'll never keep you posted. I know. I, I like. I you know every day before a podcast, we do the podcast. I'm like, oh, us keep going
1: to tell tomorrow? And it's like, all right, <laughs> but I'm it's good. not up to me, man. Like I, I've well, been like I calling out for the ghost, been like, you could Come do on, man, like, need some content. You should do um, seances
0: something. or get a Ouija board out or do something. It's not a bad idea. I really yeah. want the place out. Yeah, that's what you should be doing for the content. Think of the content. Think of the stories we able to tell on the podcast screw my
1: family. You know? <laughs> People, oh, yeah, exactly,
0: they'll get over it, they'll be fine. You get a new family. Alright, now let's get into today's story. Today we're telling the tale of Thomas Cream. Mm. Uh, Mr. Cream, it's a real wild one actually. Uh, it's got a lot of twists and turns, it travels the continent. And this story starts all the way back in the year 1850. It was in that year that the world welcomed a man who would go on to become a doctor and an all-round upstanding gentleman in society, even travelling to multiple continents and countries to spread healing around the globe. Or at least, that's how it appeared on the surface. Unknown to his patients, each one of them was nothing more than a potential victim to old Tommy Boy, and by the end of his life, he'd have a body count in the double figures. So let's give it a go. Thomas Neil Cream's life, more like, more like giving him some cream, began in Glasgow, Scotland on the 27th of May, 1850. Thomas was the first of William Cream and Mary Elder's eventual eight children. Four years after his birth in 1854, William and Mary took their young family and emigrated to North America. Canada actually, Quebec specifically. Thomas excelled in his schooling, showing an aptitude for learning from an early age. Throughout his academic years, Thomas consistently achieved high grades from starting school to graduating with merit in 1876 from McGill University in Quebec. Ironically, Thomas's final thesis was on the effects of chloroform, and at the graduation ceremony he gave a speech about the evils of malpractice in the... Medical profession, those
1: darn evils in that medical profession. That's it, man. What also, like while he was at university, his, f- his fellow students they did notice that uh, Creamy had an extreme interest in chloroform and other drugs that desensitized patients. Where I guess at the time mm-hmm. no one kind of really thought that of it. Who was just, mm. He was just pretty interested in it, but I guess looking back now, they're kicking themselves. But uh, interestingly, as well, it was actually a Scottish. Physician uh, Sir James Young Simpson, who first used a sweet-smelling chloroform as an anesthetic. You're laughing at me. What's up? <laughs> yeah, no, no. This, it's not what you said. That's actually pretty
0: interesting. It's just the way you would for the folks at home. The way Keith said, interestingly, he did it with the with the <laughs> index finger up, and he almost like he very nearly brushed his glasses up with his with his finger up his nose. That's the
1: only way to say interestingly. Yeah, you can't, with, you can't with, say with, interestingly, with the by pointing
0: whatever. your index <laughs> finger up in the air, interestingly. Interestingly. Yeah, just to give the folks at home a visualization of. Keith was very excited to <laughs> tell that story. I love facts, man. Okay. <laughs> you can't be good facts. That's true. <laughs> so having graduated from college, Thomas decided to pursue a career in medicine, choosing to further his study of medicine across the Atlantic in Scotland, back in, back in the old neighbourhood. Now, when I say choosing to go back to Scotland to pursue his career... I mean that with some heavy, bold quotation marks, as Thomas had an ulterior motive for selecting the destination he did. He wasn't leaving Canada for shits and giggles. You see, around the time of his graduation from McGill University in Quebec, Thomas had gotten himself engaged to a young lady named Flora Eliza Brooks. Just one month after their engagement in September 1876, Flora became ill and complained of severe stomach cramps. In a panic, her father, Lyman Henry Brooks, a well-to-do hotelier, took her to a doctor, and the doc quickly realized that Flora had recently undergone an abortion, something which shocked and appalled her father, who, like most of the society at the time, very conservative, and was worried more about what his neighbors and the public would think than the trauma his daughter had experienced. Because I can't imagine an abortion in 1876 was a very pleasant—I mean, it's not a pleasant experience now—but it was, I'm sure, a very well a lot worse in
1: 1876. Oh, 100%. Yeah.
0: So was, like, extremely dangerous. Uh, any concern for her health disappeared and was replaced by a scramble to save face in society. The solution that seemed most sensible to her father Lyman was to immediately go and get his gun, and also the young man who not only knocked up his daughter, but had also seemingly provided her with a secret impromptu abortion, something which could have killed her. Lyman literally marched the two down the aisle at the end of a gun, and the Holy Union was cemented. And Thomas Cream, being the man of honor he was, immediately left the country, only leaving a note behind telling his new wife where he'd gone.
1: One day he lasted
0: and one whole day. One whole and day, and then he was like, All right, see you bye. No, <laughs> <bye>. <laughs> "Good luck." <laughs> yeah. After initially registering at St Thomas's Hospital in South London in 1876, Thomas attended the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Edinburgh and qualified in 1878 with a license in midwifery. He apparently threw away the opportunity to learn at St Thomas's to become a surgeon, as he prepared to spend his studying time looking out for the wealthy young ladies around the town. So, during his time at the college, Flora contracted bronchitis, and later, in August of 1877, she died of consumption. <laughs> Thomas then returned to Canada in May of 1878, so not long after his wife died, he was like, all right, I'm going back, it's yeah. safe, in <laughs> However, rather than return to Quebec, Thomas established a medical practice in London, Ontario, which I believe is
1: relatively close to Toronto. Pretty close, I Close think. enough. Uh, I think so, yeah. I I live in Toronto, but I never went out to London. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Hey,
0: for those of you who are in Ontario, you can correct us. uh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. All right. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Thomas also cashed in on his experience with Flora and set himself up a lucrative side business providing illegal abortions, mainly to sex workers and poor women who couldn't afford to raise more children. And it's one of those patients that is thought to have been Thomas's first victim. The body of kate gardner was found in an outhouse belonging to the doctor's office she was found dead of a chloroform overdose in the run-up to gardner's death rumors were flying that she had been having an affair with a certain doctor and recently found out that she was pregnant with his background knowledge in the use of chloroform the affair being public knowledge and Gardner's body being found next to his workplace, one would think that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and Thomas would be in handcuffs by the end of the day. But somehow, that was not the case. And Dr. Thomas Cream instead insisted he'd been treating her for senescence, and hadn't given her medication related to any abortions at all. Now, senescence, for those of you who don't know, is a disease I have it. Keith has it, and all of you listening have it, and we're all going to die of it. It is terminal, well, senescence is really just the scientific name for aging. Getting old. Got a, got a bit of senescence kicking in.
1: That's it. Like, in fairness, ah, I'm feeling, feeling
0: the senescence now to make me back, Jesus. That's it. It's 100% fatal in all people. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And seemingly, even though he said it, nobody questioned him on it, he was like, oh, she died of senescence. Okay. Okay. And uh, either nobody could read his handwriting when he wrote that down or nobody kind of gave a shit. And in Thomas's opinion, her death was a tragic case of suicide. An inquest was held into Kate Gardner's death, but ultimately there wasn't enough evidence to indict Thomas and he walked free, despite Kate's roommate and friend, Sarah Long, testifying that she believed the good doctor was responsible for her death. Another doctor also testified that it was almost impossible to commit suicide with chloroform as the victim could not keep a soaked cloth held over her face. They would pass out, drop the cloth before breathing enough of it to die.
1: I guess if you started off by lying down,
0: yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Though I mean, you know, he said that, but like if you just it underground and put it over your face, it's an elaborate way to do it. Mm. When there's like so other ways to do it. I don't know right.
1: why. You, yeah, I don't, I don't know why you'd go that way.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine as well when they found her body, it was on her face, so just assumed. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. Yeah, chloroform. We do, I think we spoke about it in a previous episode. Chloroform takes a long time for it to
1: pa- even make you pass out. You need like the exact you need the exact amount on a rag and I think they said you need like five minutes of persistence Mm. on and out just to pass out.
0: Right, yeah, that's it. That's one of the reasons why it was actually eventually stopped uh, from being used as medical anesthesia. The dosage that will actually make a person knock out or even do worse. It's very hard to, very difficult to determine Mm. what's the exact uh, stuff to give people. So despite the death of Kate Gardner being considered a murder by the coroner, Thomas was not prosecuted. Yet, His reputation suffered irreparable damage, and his once popular abortion service, Back Alley Abortions, was now untenable. With the scandal over, but his former high standing in tatters, Thomas set off in search of a fresh start. He did Quebec, he did Scotland, he did London, and now he landed in Chicago, Illinois. Once again, he set up a legit medical practice to cover his side job giving abortions to sex workers from Chicago's West Side District. And it was pretty much an open secret among even the Chicago Police Department of what business Dr. Cream was in. And it didn't take too long for yet another scandal to land on his doorstep. In August of 1880, Thomas's physician's assistant, Hattie Mack, suddenly abandoned her apartment, only for police to discover that Hattie had left a little something behind in her place. That being a rotting corpse. So, unsurprisingly, the police were very keen to have a chat with Hattie and establish exactly why the decomposing body of Mary Ann Faulkner was apparently hidden in her apartment and had been for some time. And boy, did Thomas' assistant Hattie have a lot fair scale to tell the police. Hattie straight up admitted that she'd been working as an assistant to Dr. Cream, and he had been operating as a backstreet abortionist. She claimed, that she'd been ordered by Dr. Cream to keep the body of Mary Faulkner at her home as she recovered from a recent procedure. But she'd become ill with an infection and it had eventually taken her life.
1: So she basically used the excuse, that's not my corpse, I'm just holding it for a friend.
0: Exactly, I was just watching it, you know, it's just resting there, you know. Don't blame me. Unlike with the Gardner case, Mary's death actually did result in murder charges being brought against Thomas Cream. At the trial that followed, Hattie Mack testified that Thomas had told her he'd performed over 500 abortions, sometimes several in a day. Hattie herself claimed to have performed 15 on her own at her recently vacated apartment. Unsurprisingly, the jury cited in favor with the young white doctor over the African-American woman and acquitted him of the murder charges.
1: That's madness. Back out on the streets, allowed to be a doctor doing doctor things. Yeah.
0: Crazy. I know. This story is really wild when I was going through I mean, it starts off as like this guy who was a back alley abortionist and murderer. And then the story gets batshit. It
1: gets crazier and crazier as it goes on. I, I keep having to remind myself that he's a doctor. Yeah. Uh, it was like while researching the case, uh, it was actually crazy how many other instances throughout history I came across where individuals in the medical profession turned serial killer. Uh, now, I, I guess it is important to emphasize that. Such cases, they are extremely rare, but I guess what's frightening is in these rare occurrences, when they did happen, they would often stack up a sizable number of victims. Mm. There seems to be a few different types of medical serial killers specific to the profession. Uh, they're often referred to as, uh, I'm sure you've heard, the angel of mercy or the angel of death. Angel of death is yeah. a good one. Yeah, right. So they would have this pathological interest in power over life and death. And In some cases, they would believe that killing their patient is like an act of mercy. And then in other cases, they would hope to gain the reputation from acting like a hero. So there was mm. one example of, uh, there was a doctor who would induce heart attacks wow, um, with medication. And then he'd rush in in attempt to save the patient. And then after, he would just relish in the praise. he I'm an I just great. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. He just like pats on the back from his colleagues. The, the family's like, oh my God, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, there are, of course, like, there's other motives. Uh, medical serial killers, they just want sexual gratification or financial gain and then there were some that were just straight up sociopaths mm-hmm. uh, in the case of Thomas Cream I feel like he was in it for financial gain with a, a dash of sociopath
0: mm, yeah yeah he's a real 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 son of a bitch mm. as we will see folks I'm going to say it here for, it's the mic zone with Mike here I'm talking about and I'm not not afraid to say it I'm not going to let the mainstream media tell me any different Thomas Cream son of a bitch ooh another bowl stands by I know hot take we're in the hot take zone <laughs> Literally the same month he was found not guilty of murder in Chicago, another one of Thomas's patients died after taking medication he'd been prescribed. Thomas naturally took no responsibility and put the blame squarely in the lap of the pharmacist who had dispensed the prescription and even allegedly tried to extort the man in exchange for not turning him in. Which is so he was blaming this guy and then trying to make money off him. Good old, good old Tommy boy. Love it. Unfortunately for Thomas, however, Mr. Frank Pite, the pharmacist, rather than pay up, went straight to the police and let them know what the doctor was up to. Sadly, there just wasn't enough evidence and the investigation went nowhere. Nevertheless, Thomas was quickly gaining himself a bad reputation with the local police department, and you'd think that would be enough to convince Thomas to keep his head down for a little bit. But he would not do that. It wouldn't be long before Thomas Cream would find himself again in front of a judge and jury. Yet again, Thomas tried to lay the blame for a death he'd caused at the hands of a pharmacist. I'm just writing out the prescriptions, folks. It's the pharmacist he's fucking up and giving them the wrong medication or giving him too much or blah, blah, blah. See, Thomas had been advertising his services in a newspaper, specifically letting it be known that he had a handy little cure for epilepsy. In February of 1881, Daniel Stott's wife, Julia, contacted Dr. Cream's office to try and get the cure for her husband and was given pills by the doctor. Apparently, Daniel had actually seen a little improvement and even continued to return for further prescriptions for a short while. Then, suddenly in June, Daniel Stott died, with the official cause being an epileptic fit. Had it ended there, the doctor likely would have gotten away with it, but he just he just couldn't help himself, and he tried to make himself a little cash out of the situation. He seen there was a little, a little cheddar cheese to be made, you know what I'm saying? He went back to Julius Thought, grieving widow, and convinced her that the pharmacist who'd filled the prescription was responsible for her husband's death. And get this, you should sue him. He also contacted the coroner's office and told him that the pharmacist was responsible in order to back up Julia's claim. Unfortunately for Thomas, however, the coroner was thorough and decided to test the prescription pills on a dog. Within the hour, the pooch was no more and it got off to the great barm in the sky.
1: Really hope it wasn't a family
0: dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, son. That's an awkward conversation with a kid. <laughs> I just need to test out these pills. Look, I am just trying something, okay? <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sorry. Stop crying.
0: The coroner, finding that uh, just a little worrying, performed a new autopsy on Daniel Stott's body and was shocked to find out that at the time of his death, Stott had more than three times the lethal dose of strychnine in his system. Strychnine, very strong poison.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a it's a crazy drug. So it's actually, it's, it's a highly toxic, colorless alkaloid. And in today's modern world, it's used as a pesticide, mm. uh, particularly for killing small animals like birds and rats. Oh, so it's literally just rat poison, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, but back in the day, uh, strychnine was available in pill form and was used in very small dosages uh, to treat many human ailments. Uh, it was also famously used in a similar case from England, so only 26 years prior to Daniel Stott's death. In uh, 1855 in England, a English doctor, a uh, very famous case, William Palmer, poisoned his gambling companion, John Cook, in order to steal his winnings. Mm. Uh, evidence also suggested that Palmer had also murdered several other friends and family members after first taking out life insurance policies and all them, of them. Nice. Course. Do the dance, Mike, do the dance. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Charles Dickens, he Fucking called... Charles Palmer. Dickens. I know, I know, I know. That's Don't right. get me started. Oh, I'm, I'm, Ooh, I'm getting riled
0: up. Ooh, I am sorry to, Oh, I'm oh. going in the face. I'm having breathing, breathing problems. I'm starting
1: to... Like, tears <laughs> in my eyes. You're making me so mad. <laughs> he called Palmer the greatest villain that ever stood in the Old Bailey. Mm. So maybe old Tommy Cream got his idea for using strychnine from a fellow doctor. Mm. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a horrible way to go. Um, in the case of John Cook, he died in agony screaming that he was suffocating people exposed in low or moderate doses to strychnine uh, can experience painful muscle spasms, uh, possibly leading to fever, kidney and liver uh, injury and failure, uncontrollable arching of the neck and the back and difficulty breathing. Oof. Then people exposed to high doses of strychnine may have the following signs and symptoms within the first 15 to 30 minutes of exposure, which will be respiratory failure, possibly leading to death, and then also brain death, which uh, nice. pretty much it, it's going to kill you. Yeah. Um, funny enough, it was actually the finger up again Uh, interestingly (laughs) interestingly it was also used as a performance enhancing drug due to the convulsant effects during the 1904 Olympics marathon the track and field athlete Thomas Hicks was unwillingly administered a concoction of egg whites and brandy laced with small amounts of strychnine by his assistants to boost his stamina he won the race but was hallucinating by the time he reached the finish line (laughs) And he soon collapsed after. But uh, but he won. You the it. That's
0: so. the most important thing, right? Worth it. <laughs> so after people learned that his patient had been poisoned to death, Thomas didn't stick around too much, legged it back to Canada. But doing the finger up, he was caught and he was arrested before he could get far enough away and was sent straight back to Chicago to be prosecuted for Daniel Stott's death. He was up on his second murder charge in September of 1881. The trial turned out to be a bit of a scandalous affair, quite literally, with it coming out in court that actually the doctor had once again been getting very friendly with Mrs. Stott, and the two had been seeing each other for some time. Not only was he trying to convince her to sue to get some money, he was also given a bit of his, bit of cream, if you know what I'm saying. Yo. Yeah, <laughs> buddy. Julia Stott agreed to testify that the doctor had seduced her and had come up with a plan to kill her husband with poison, so that the widowed Julia could then sue the pharmacist and they could split the money. That is quite the plan. Unlike during his first trial, however, Thomas didn't have the backing of his family to help out financially, and it wasn't nearly as much as he'd previously been able to front up, and nowhere near enough to counter the state's evidence. Another former lover and patient of Dr. Cream's, Mary McClellan also testified against Thomas. She told the court she had heard Thomas talking about Daniel's murder before it had actually been made public, before he should have known he was dead. Thomas was pretty much banged to rights, and despite a feeble attempt at laying the blame for the murder at the feet of Julia, he was found guilty of murder and received a life sentence to be served at Illinois Penitentiary. With a little provision that stated he must serve at least one day every year in solitary confinement. ...for the rest of his natural life. That's kind of interesting they put that in there. It's a weird little tag-along, isn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah, you have to spend one day every year alone to yeah. just think on what you've done.
1: I wonder, I wonder if they get to pick today. Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, my birthday. F you.
0: <laughs> of course, that should be, by all rights, have been the end of Dr. Thomas Neal Cream. But, in a huge dink, Thomas found himself declared an ideal candidate for clemency ten years into his sentence... I say coincidence because it just so happens that Thomas' father, William, had recently passed away, and that meant Thomas was due to inherit £16,000. So I'm sure that had absolutely nothing to do with his clemency, despite the fact that his brother, Daniel, was making a lot of donations to prominent Illinois politicians. Just funny how these things work out. Having come into this latest windfall, despite his father completely disowning him and cutting him off before his death, Thomas enjoyed the good fortune of being rich and had his sentence curtailed to 17 years with time off for good behavior. With 10 years served, he walked free from prison after the new sentencing. So, having secured his release and having been tragically diagnosed with being rich, Thomas's immediate preoccupation was getting revenge. And for a short while, he dedicated himself to tracking down Julius Stott, even getting the famous Pinkerton private detective agency
1: involved. This agency, they famously foiled a plot to assassinate President-elect Abraham Lincoln mm. in 1861. This was actually due to the efforts of America's first female private detective, Kate Warren, mm-hmm. who was hired by the agency. Uh, unfortunately, then, four years later, he he was assassinated anyway. Where uh, were you? Kind of, yeah, we weren't doing a were very good job. <laughs> have
0: you, well, hey, listen, for the folks at home who have played Red Dead Redemption 2, the bad guys in the game are the Pinkertons, so... There you go. Although I think they didn't have a very good reputation. Uh, I think they were known basically for just hiring thugs and breaking up um, trade union protests and shit like that. They were just a big gang of uh, brutes and ruffians who go in with baseball bats and beat the shit out of people.
1: Yeah, but they also foiled an attempt at assassination. Mike.
0: Yeah, but then four years later, he got killed anyway, so they were shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <that's true>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fortunately for Julia, however, he soon grew bored of his vendetta and he decided he'd jump the pond once again and set himself up in England now taking with him a newfound hatred for all women and a handy little drug habit. Needless to say, prison hadn't exactly done society any favours with Dr. Cream and he was far from rehabilitated. If anything, he'd become far worse and his almost pathological hatred for women made him several times more dangerous. By the end of October 1891, A spat of debts among young sex workers in London had residents, ooh, on edge. And it wasn't at all long since Saucy Jack had been carving his way through the city's less dead. And panic spread quickly. London, much like today, dangerous shithole. Big time. (laughs) (laughs) I joke, I joke. London's alright. I lived there for a bit.
1: Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I lived in... Uh, I always forget about that. Yeah. It
0: was... Uh, I lived in Brent. I can't actually remember what my tube stop was, but it was like... Um, oh, man, this is going to fucking piss me off if I don't find out. So give me one second. Uh, I've, ne- I've never been to London. Uh, you've never uh, been to London? Well, I've wow, been there wild. for
1: connecting flights.
0: Yeah, but you've never actually been around the city? No, just Heathrow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Which is it's like, great. It's, it's
1: a really cool city. It's so close.
0: Yeah, I yeah, know. That's wild. Like, never, I was there two months ago for a concert. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the O2 in London. Uh, the O2 actually
1: as an arena kind of sucks, but the concert was great. Um, Seems like a very busy town. Like there's more, what's it, the population in London is greater than the whole of Ireland?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's huge. It's it's cool. It's cool. There's a lot of cool places. In it. I mean, it's like any city. You know, there's a lot of cool places in it. There's a lot of shittles in it. It's like anything, mm, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Uh, Wills and Green. That's where I would get my tube. Shout out to my Wills and Green <laughs> homies out there. Uh, what up? What up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an all right place. Yeah,
1: it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Maybe it is fine.
0: So, the person causing the deaths of these young sex workers had even earned himself a nickname. Not quite as sexy as Jack the Ripper, but the Lambeth Poisoner. And that was inspiring fear throughout the city. The Lambeth Poisonings most likely began with the sudden death of 19-year-old Ellen Nellie Donworth, just days after she went out for drinks with the now 41-year-old doctor. Having found a tried and trusted method, Thomas Stuck, what he knew worked, and just like Daniel Stott, Ellen died after ingesting a huge dose of strychnine. Just a week after Ellen Donworth was discovered dead, the body of another sex worker, 27-year-old Matilda Clover, was found on the 20th of October. Just like Ellen, she had recently been out on a date with Tommy Cream, Dirty Tommy, Dirty Tommy. <laughs> though at the time of Matilda's death, it was attributed to alcohol poisoning due to her alcoholism. The debts actually stopped for a short while after Matilda's death. Oddly, this reprieve from the mayhem just so happened to be at the same time as Dr. Thomas Cream was taking a little trip home back to Canada. It was crazy. It was like he, he, he you know, he killed um, three people, right? Last person was a, was a plot to get mm. the money. And then it's like he went to prison. And then as soon as he got to prison, he was like, all right, I'm just going to kill everybody. It yeah. was like a rampage. He was going on in London. Yeah, you know, do what you got to. Yeah, yeah I mean, he had 17 years of plot. That's it. Yeah. He, he, was, he was
1: angry when he got out.
0: Yeah, he was real mad. He was real mad. Thomas took the trip ostensibly to visit family and friends, but his real intention was to refill his inventory back in Canada. And while there, Thomas loaded up with 500 strychnine tablets, stocking up on his old supply. Given the man had served a literal life sentence for murdering a man with strychnine, you'd think someone would be keeping an eye on this kind of thing, you know, around him, but apparently not. Thomas returned to London with 500 little white discs burning a hole in his pocket. And then, to everybody's absolute shock, another two young sex workers were found dead shortly after his return. Both 21-year-old Alice March and her flatmate, 18-year-old Emma Shrivel, were killed by strychnine poisoning. Thomas chatted up the ladies and ended up talking his way back into their shared flat. He had a golden golden tongue, real, real chatty that. He plied them with striking laced Guinness. Keith, as a man who loved Guinness, even I think you would drink that. Would that put you off? If you knew there was striking, Tom Scream would give it to you and you'd be like, Glug, Glug. I'd probably go ahead and drink it. Yeah. yeah. It's just a waste of good Guinness.
1: Yeah, yeah I know. You, know?
0: You, mean, you, you, can't, you can't waste it. Yeah,
1: but yeah. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be rude not to. Yeah.
0: And so Alice and Emma were found still alive, but in the final throes of agony caused by the poison Guinness. According to their landlady, Emma Vells, she found them after hearing them screaming out in pain. The younger girl, Emma, had lived just long enough to be able to fight through the intense pain to be able to give the police a description of Thomas Cream. She said that they'd been out that evening with a, quote, tall, cross-eyed man who had given them each tree pills. No need to guess what those pills were. Like many serial killers and killers in general, it was Thomas Cream's own hubris that finally did him in and ended his rampage across London. At this point, despite him barely covering his tracks, Thomas actually did manage to escape detection. In fact, he wasn't even on the police's radar for the murders at all. Had he called it a day or even if he'd carried on poisoning in silence, he likely could have gotten away with several more murders. Instead, Like many of his contemporaries in his chosen field, Thomas just couldn't help. That ego pushed him to do something so stupid, it's generally hard to believe he even became a doctor in the first place. Get a load of this, folks. Thomas decided that he needed a patsy, a fall guy, to take the non-existent heat away from him. He needed a fall guy to take the police attention away from him. He was under zero police attention (laughs) at all. And so he wrote a little letter to the officers investigating the Lambeth poisonings. In the note, he accused two other men, including another doctor, of being responsible for several killings, including that of Matilda Clover. Even though at this point, Matilda's death was still considered to have been due to her alcoholism, as I mentioned before. She wasn't considered a victim of the poisoner at all. Needless to say, Thomas had dropped himself right in it, up to the neck. Why? What was literally... What was, I'm curious, what the fuck was going through his head?
1: Absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, I don't know what he was it's, it's what wild. Are you thinking. Yeah.
0: The police weren't the only ones to receive a letter from Thomas. Several other notes were sent out to various people. Unlike the letter to the police, which tried to shift the blame, the others were primarily various kinds of blackmail, something he loved to do. One letter was sent to the son of a wealthy businessman named Frederick Smith. Frederick Smith received a letter threatening to blame him for the murder of Ellen Donworth if he didn't put a sign in the window of his office that said, Mr. Fred Smith wishes to see Mr. Bain, the barrister, at once. Now, what that sign means, who knows. Exactly why Thomas wanted him to do this is unknown, but it's likely it was a precursor Essentially, to demand money. See, see what he do. Yeah, exactly. It's like, would he if he'll do that, then he'll he do, do money. Yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Smith, not being guilty or an idiot, unlike Thomas, went straight to the police and told them about the letter where he was demanding to put up a sign. It's like it's so weird. <laughs> it's this story weird. really does go off the rails. Yeah. They soon realized it had likely been written by the same man. Not only did this link the letters, but also the murders of Ellen Dunworth, which. Up until then, hadn't been considered related to the others. The day after Smith had received the letter, another letter was received by a doctor named Joseph Harper. This time, the writer simply asked outright for good old chiching cash money, telling Harper that he had indisputable proof that the doctor's son had committed the murders of Marsh and Shrivel, but kindly offered to hand over the evidence. For the princely sum of £1,500, which was a lot of money back then. Once again, Harper, like Smith, was like, my son had nothing to do with this. I know he didn't have anything to do with this. What the fuck are you doing?
1: Who the heck wrote this? I'm going to the cops. I don't know why. I honestly don't know why he keeps trying to blackmail people. How many times has he done now? And it's never worked. Yeah, You're right. It literally (laughs) has not worked once. Because every person he sends it to is like, they're so innocent and they're just like, yeah. I've done nothing. Yeah. I haven't gone to the police. <laughs>
0: I'm not even like a little bit guilty that you could kind of manipulate me into yeah. it. It's like,
1: no, i like just going to... Yeah. I feel if you've if you're going to blackmail someone, you have to have something on them. Exactly. That's the whole point of blackmail. That's it. Yeah. yeah. This isn't
0: even blackmail. This <laughs> is just
1: like <laughs> stupid threatening people. <laughs> yeah.
0: A couple of weeks after sending the letter, the police had already ruled that two of the men Thomas had accused of having something to do with the debts had nothing to do with the debts. Instead, they were very keen to speak with whoever had sent the accusatory letter and even worse for Thomas, though at this point they didn't know it was him who had sent it, they now considered the sender to be the killer they'd been hunting. Around the same time, Thomas found himself getting real chummy with a policeman, a sergeant, named Patrick McIntyre. The two got quite friendly, chummy enough that Thomas asked them if he knew about the murders. Not only did he raise the topic with this policeman, but he offered to take the sergeant on a little tour of all the various locations where the victims had been killed. He's taking a literal policeman <laughs> to where he killed all these people. And Thomas spoke in such great detail about the crimes. Officer McIntyre was left with little doubt, you're clearly the fucking killer. Yeah. It's
1: this is crazy. Do you see over there? That's where I uh, not I um someone killed. <laughs> yeah, right there, right yeah.
0: there. Thomas Cream soon found himself under constant surveillance from Scotland Yard, and it soon became very obvious to them that Dr. Cream had a bit of a thing for visiting sex workers and spent a lot of his free time frequenting known working girls. He had uh, numerous escapades. Escapades, Mm. as we discussed before. Hey, hey, hey. Almost as soon as they'd started to look into him, they received information on him from their American counterparts that included the prison sentence Thomas had served in Illinois for killing Daniel Stott. So you can almost picture a light bulb glowing over the investigators' heads as soon as they heard that the man they were looking into for a spade of poisonings with strychnine had served a prison term for killing somebody else with that exact same poison. This time, 2 plus 2 finally did equal 4, and Thomas landed in front of a judge once again. This time, though his money couldn't buy him out. He'd had his one get-out-of-jail-free card, and he wasn't getting a second one. The justice system moved a little more swiftly than it does nowadays, and Thomas was charged with the murder of Matilda Clover on the 13th of July, 1892. And after trial lasted from the 17th to the 21st of October, he was found guilty and he was sentenced to death by hanging. No more spending the rest of his life in prison with one day in solitary confinement. This time it's going to be, well, whole life confinement in a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> The jury deliberated in Thomas' trial less than 12 minutes, but after the cavalcade of witnesses and mountain of evidence, kind of shocking that it took even 12 minutes. They were probably two minutes talking about it, another 10 minutes having a cup of tea. The witnesses against him included Dr. William Henry Broadbent, whom Thomas had tried his patented blame and bribe for my crime trick on, and Emma Wells, the landlady to the two young sex workers Thomas had killed with Guinness. In addition to several other pharmacists, their assistants, all who testified that they had supplied the accused doctor with various items including strychnine and empty capsules which could be used to disguise the taste of the medications being given. One of the witnesses, John Wilson McCullough, was a traveling salesman and had met Cream in Canada. He traveled to London specifically for the trial. And he testified that the doctor had shown him a vial of what he said was poison that he, quote, gave to the girls to get them out of the family way. And at the same time, he showed the salesman a fake beard. And when asked this, I, I can't get over this guy. It's so stupid. I know, his fake beard. This guy must have hated him as well. Come all the way from Canada. Yeah, yeah. Like just, just a big test, trip. Right? Yeah. right, back in the day, back in like 1800, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah that would have taken pretty like weeks, weeks, yeah. weeks. weeks, yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole time I was like, oh, fuck this guy, I'm going to get him. So, less than a month after he'd been convicted and sentenced, Thomas Cream was hanged November 16th, 1892, at Newgate Prison. However, the story's not over yet, my friends. Even Thomas' last words managed to make a bit of a stir and are still a cause for debate among historians and ripperologists. A ripperologist is exactly what it says in the tin, someone who studies Jack the Ripper. You see, Thomas Cream... When he was being hung is a, or hanged, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he was well hung. Well, yeah, yeah he was well hung being hanged. <laughs> Thomas is alleged to have said his final words were, I am Jack, meaning he was Jack the Ripper. He was saying mm. as he was being hanged that he was Jack the Ripper. I'm Jack.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's had 11 <laughs> <finish> Jacking off. <laughs> <laughs> should have bound his hands.
0: (laughs) So whether or not that was what he actually said is unsure. As it's agreed, he did say something, but his words were muffled by the executioner's hood covering his mouth at the time. If he did actually say it, and I wouldn't put it past him, giving his predilection for bullshitting, well, it's pretty much accepted by most that there's simply no way Thomas Cream could have actually been responsible for the Jack the Ripper killings, as a lot of them happened while he was safely locked away in Illinois, all the way in
1: America for the Daniel Stott murder. There really is like, there's no shortage of theories and suspects put forward by these Ripperologists. There like There's literally hundreds of suspects mm-hmm. that they propose may have been Jack the Ripper from simple local residents all the way up to the royal family. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, that's good. Interior of the royal family, uh, that's it's a Prince Albert Victor, the son of King Edward VII and the grandson of Queen Victoria known to the family as Eddie, he committed uh, the murders during fits of insanity caused right. by an advanced case of syphilis. Mm, I've heard that one. That's, that's a that's a good one. It's, it's good a good favorite. It's, yeah. a, it's a good conspiracy. But uh, yeah. yeah, again, like similar to Thomas Cream, uh, the royal records show that he wasn't even in London at the time of the murders. Uh, with the case of Thomas Cream, though, however, like you mentioned, even though he wasn't in the country when the murders took place, this hasn't stopped some of these ripperologists... Doing some mental gymnastics to mm, make your story. Fit I love the mental gymnastics. Hit, hit me, brother. So there's two good ones. So, okay. rip, so Ripperologist Donald Bell, he proposed that Cream had bribed officials and had been let out of prison before his official release.
0: Ooh. So he, he, so he bribed him. He was rich, so he bribed his way out of prison. Went mm. across to London, started killing people
1: as Jack the Ripper, and then went back to Chicago. Or maybe they. Maybe like they like Cooked the books With mm. the records I mean like Officially he was let out Later but he actually Got out earlier mm-hmm. Okay, you know I mean uh, Then there was also Sir Edward Marshall Hall He speculated that Cream's prison term Had been served by A lookalike Ooh. In his place Which is uh Such bollocks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's good bollocks <laughs> It's my favourite type of bollocks <laughs>
0: So fucking stupid It's entertaining Oh, it's brilliant I know you. Uh, That's great Alright so uh, so that's a, a good old no to both of them, but it's fun. Mm. So Dr. Thomas Cream was only tried for the killing of Matilda in the end. So just how many victims Dr. Thomas Neil Cream was really responsible for is still debated and will never be known exactly. Maybe a lot a lot more uh, women in London back in the day, partly due to any you know, a lack of any kind of confession and the people that, as I said, he targeted. Records are scarce even among the upper classes, back in that time, so for the poor and working classes, nobody knows. People will be dying all the time. Even suspicious deaths weren't investigated. So, uh, you know, back then the bobbies would be running around, London sound, being governors and whatnot. And
1: uh, it's a pretty good English accent. I think he were... loved you over in London, didn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, man.
0: But yeah, at the end of the day, we don't know exactly how many people he killed, probably quite a few. Mm.
1: We well, had 500 of those tablets, so.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Actually, oh, yeah. I wonder how many he had left yeah ooh, Mm. that's
0: good but uh like everything without thomas putting himself into the frame history might not have known what happened to any of his victims it was a letter to police that literally just like they weren't even close to him and he just opened the door of shit in himself he fully deserved it and that is the end of that one keith final word um if you're gonna take the hippocratic though don't be a hypocrite Ooh, very good. Thank well you. said, my friend. Well said. I couldn't say it better myself. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, so that's Thomas Thomas Cream, uh, interesting character. I like to think he was Jack the Ripper, even though we are hundred percent sure he wasn't. I'm gonna
1: pretend he was. I like the Like the body double's good. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a real bad movie, but I enjoy it. It's yeah. It's probably like one of those things. You know, you watch the full movie and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, who did? And you get to the end, it's like.
0: What? Yeah, exactly. Okay. This makes so no foolish. sense. Yeah, <laughs> but I want to watch it again. All right, here, listen, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, much appreciated. Please check out the That Chapter YouTube channel, where every Tuesday and Friday there's new videos, and a new episode of the That Chapter podcast every Monday. All right, uh, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me and Keith. Keith, mm-hmm. yes, do you want to say farewell to our dear uh, listeners who are having a good time where day night wherever whatever they are doing I don't know what you're doing listen there's one she tells what you're doing oh actually friend <laughs> yeah um people who want to send in scary stories we we'd love to do an episode like a bonus episode where we read oh, out your scary we can do it in the attic. stories oh yeah we should do it in your attic mm, we'll yeah do it we'll read scary we... stories in the attic oh that's good we should definitely do that all right um I know a few people have sent them into me already um but I think I might have lost some <laughs> <laughs> No, genuinely, I remember I was checking through my junk one day because some of them, I think, got sent to my junk mail for I have no idea why. Um, And I was like, oh, I should remember that. And then I forgot to. And then your junk mail automatically deletes uh... this shit after, like, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. So it might. So if you sent me in one, uh, go through your sent mail and please just send it again. (laughs) And uh, also, if you have any stories, spooky stories, horror stories, any kind of story you'd like us to read out, uh, please send it in.
1: Yeah, we'll do a and, fun little episode.
0: Yeah, we'll do an episode. That'd be great. That'd be a nice little bonus episode. So, uh, yeah, here, listen. Uh, Keith, you want to give them your patented... Soya. There you go. You guys have been great. Thanks. That was fun. I know Keith is so funny when we're when we were in uh, when we we're in Boston. Every time we'd go anywhere for for a beer or whatever, what do you want? Guinness. <laughs> I know, and every time I drank, i
1: was like, oh God, I haven't one. Yeah, another Guinness, please. Keith would it. would like, looking at the menu, uh, Guinness. <laughs> well, I'd always panic because there's like so many, so much to choose from I just... mm, of all the different beers. Yeah, because yeah. I was
0: like, oh, I'll try something I haven't tried before. Oh, that yeah. sounds
1: new and interesting. I'd be like half of you reading it, and they come over like, what do you want? So, Guinness. You know? <laughs> It's what I know. <laughs> yeah, well, there are, yeah...